Amen. Well, guys, tonight we are going to be in the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in chapter 18. So I want to invite you to be there with us. Now, you can grab a Bible and open it up, even Bibles in front of you. But we also want to continue to hold before you the little booklets that we're using on uh, Wednesday nights, giving you the opportunity to kind of track with us through the book of Proverbs and do so in a way that allows you to maybe mark it up more than you would uh, in your own Bible. And so literally it's just the text of Proverbs 18 in this booklet with a couple other little small things that might be helpful. Now, as we're diving into that, I do want to reach out to those of you who are joining us online and just know that for some of you, you may want this right now. Uh, we want to let you know it's available. Uh, you can go to our website at calvaryrosal.com, go under the messages. Uh, you would be able to go to today's message and find already a, a, a link that says download. Click that, download the notes, and it'll have a PDF that you can print out, or you could just use on an electronic device. Either way, we think that would be a good thing because really, again, the aim is just to be able to, to, to take the text that's in front of you and, again, do so in a way that you can be able to track through it. Proverbs is a, is a fascinating book, but in many ways just so different. As each proverb uh, can stand alone in many ways, it's a little bit more challenging to teach. And so by doing it this way, we're hoping that you would just be able to mark it up. Now, I'm going to use kind of this as a legend. It's going to be a place where we've been doing it so some of you can track through it. We'll use like a green circle for a good cause or a focus and a line for the result that will flow out of that. We'll use a, a red box for a bad focus and a li red line for the bad result. We'll use a little blue uh, connecting word there for the conjunctions that connect uh, in between it. And then we'll use purple uh, for God and his character. And I'll even use a dark blue if it's just a statement of fact. I don't have this on there, but we definitely have a couple of those that, that, that way this evening. All of it so that you'll be able to hopefully just note it and, and be able to see it and just tell you it's deeper. It's deeper than we have time to go into this evening, but hoping that it just draws you into seeing the things that God has for you. So let's take a moment, as we do each week, and let's ask God to do that. Let's just ask Him that He would take His Word and help us to understand it tonight, that you would hear it, that I would hear it, that He would give us ears to hear what He's speaking to, uh, to us, and that out of this tonight, maybe just one of these would land. As we say almost each week, we're hoping that you gain understanding out of the book of Proverbs. But I'm hoping that one of these, one of these Proverbs stands out and you would just know by the time we're done this evening that that was mine. That's the proverb I have to chew on for a little bit. That's the one that God is working into my life this evening. So let's go before him right now and ask him to do that. God, thank you for your word. And I recognize right now your word is good, all of it. Everything we need for life and godliness you've provided. And your word is good. I know that just because it is good, our time in it tonight will be good. And so I'm longing that it would be just understanding to us, that you would shed light into our own lives through the wisdom that you give us here in the book of Proverbs. God, that you grant us understanding and favor, and then that you would work. Lord, I do ask that you would cause us to hear exactly what you want us to hear this evening. And maybe even just taking a single proverb, and latching it onto hearts this evening where we'll know hey, that's the one I'm going to have to go home and think about. That's the one that, I, that God is working into my life right now. Would you help us to hear that? Would you help us to understand just the things that you would have for us? God, give us ears to hear what your Spirit is actively speaking even now. And in your faithfulness, work a good work in us. God, meet us. Meet us now, here as we seek your face. 
We ask for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Proverbs chapter 18, we begin there in verse 1. Why don't you just notice with me as it launches out. This is a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Well, right off the bat, we get an amazing proverb. In fact, if there's one of them that I'm hoping that you would certainly be able to wrap your heart around, it would be this one, because I think if you can hear it, even now, it would just be something that should constantly be a reality in your life, constantly be a place that you would understand it. So let's try to get it. We look at it here, and it just tells us a man who isolates himself. That's the negative thing, the thing that is taking place here, that someone is doing that, and it tells us what that does. It's selfish. It's seeking their own desire. It's seeking their own course or their own ways. He tells us what that is. He says that person who does it is raging, is absolutely raging against all wise judgment. All right. Well, it's laid out there for a little bit for us, but let's walk around this and try to understand what's just been laid for us, because again, I think it's incredibly powerful. You know, it might just be helpful to be really, really simple, and and sometimes it just works good for my mind to be that way, and I just want you to think about it. God has a plan for your life. God has something He wants for you, and we say it all the time. It's summed up in the great two commandments, uh, that when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, the first is Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. He says the second is like on it. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, hey, that's everything. Everything else that's found in the Scripture really falls into these realities. So in a very simple way, I want you to begin with an understanding that God has this which He desires for you. Guaranteed tonight for you, God is desiring that you would find yourself into a place that you would love God and then that you would love people. That is certainly what He has for you. If you can see that, then understand sin and Satan and the world, the three battlefronts that Christians fight on, they're going the opposite direction. They're going the opposite direction. What sin does is it separates you from God and it separates you from people. What the world does is seeks to work that. What, our, what, our, what Satan does is seeking to work in, into that same place. And so we, we watch this And we could just, in a very simple way, just want to understand. Almost as if you could just look at, okay, you know, God is going this direction, and sin and Satan in the world are going this direction. And if you could even just have that alone locked into your brain, so that you are constantly almost oriented into a true north, if you will. We're like, I know which way I'm supposed to be going. I mean, you know, if I spin me around, give me a lot, I know when I land. I'm supposed to be pursuing God and supposed to be pursuing people. And this is what Jesus came to give us, right? I mean, we think about how good this is because it's this very brokenness that we couldn't fix ourselves. It's this very brokenness that God sent his son for, that Jesus says, you know, I'm the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. Nobody gets to, to God the Father outside of me. I mean, having this love relationship with God, really knowing God can't happen any other way. I mean, that's what Jesus is doing. He came to save us from our sin, to draw us into this relationship. And in that relationship, he radically connects us both with him, but even with people, and very specifically, 
his people. Now we're talking about that on Sunday mornings in uh, the gospel. I mean, sorry, in, in the book of First John, and so we'll be talking about it a lot. But those two are so connected that you can't have one without the other. It's impossible to have a right relationship with God and be at wrong with people. Again, that's a, a whole other study and stuff we will be talking about on Sunday mornings. I just want you to leave that there, but I want you to see this. And I want you to understand, hey, this is true. Let's think about that even into our lives right now. One of the things that's just helpful is to kind of understand what this is and understand that this is exactly what this does. And I think I want to come at it this way and say, you know, sometimes because of sin and because of things in the world, this is what's taking place. And I'm trying to think about how to say it right, but I think I can say it this way. It's not a choice you're making. It's not a choice you're making. It's being made for you. I want to be this very, very carefully, and I'm not, you know, making it an overarching statement that, you know, paints all of this with that broad brush, but I certainly think about the last two years. I think about this, you know, COVID reality and, and, and some of the COVID responses, and some of it's just the world. Some of it's just the way that things work, but I mean, in my mind, it's pretty clear that so much was, was geared towards an isolating tendency, which lets me know, hey, that's, that's, that's not a good thing. That's moving away from what God wants, but sometimes there's just no choice. I mean, sometimes the world is working that and you find yourself isolated. I mean, I'm probably speaking to someone right now that you're at home tonight and it's not necessarily by choice. I mean, maybe it's physical, maybe you're sick, maybe you're unable uh, to gather and you're like, well, I, this is, I don't even get to choose. I mean, I'm in this kind of situation and these choices are being made for me. That's probably true. And there are times that you just don't have any choice in the matter. There are times when, because of the way the world works, you find yourself being isolated a little bit. I just want you to say that's not what we're talking about right now. I mean, we're talking about isolation, but we're not talking about when that choice is being made for you. No, what this verse wants to talk to you about is when you make the choice. When, when, when the choice is yours, and you make the choice. You make the choice to isolate yourself. He says, a man who isolates himself... I mean, he makes this choice. He makes this place where you make this foolish decision and you choose to be at a distance from God and you choose to be at a distance from people. Does that ever happen? Well, it does. It does happen. I mean, it really does happen. But as clear as we can make it right now, what I am hoping would take place in the midst of this is you would just understand. You would be able to understand that's a bad choice. That is always a bad choice. I mean, there's a lot of reasons we do it, fears, doubts, um, lots of things that roll into our lives, but sometimes we have this propensity that moves towards isolation. And sometimes our world will tell us, hey, that's fine. Like, you should just do your own thing. Like, you're fine. I just want you to understand, no, I'm not fine. I mean, if, if it's this simple, love God and love people, there's no chance that God's plan for your life is he just wants me to totally isolate myself from everybody. Like, just to totally cut myself from all people. I, there's zero possibility that God's like, that's a great idea. You should totally do that. No, you should be able to look at it and say, no, that's terrible. That's a terrible idea. And yet, sometimes people make this choice. Sometimes we make those choices. But he says, when you do that, when you isolate yourself, you are seeking your own desire. Has the idea that you're trying to chart your own course away from the course that God has for you. It's kind of that Psalm, uh, that Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. 
Like, you know, God has this path, and we're like, no, I think I want to go over here. Like, I'm going to go my own path. And yet he says, if you do that, you are raging against all wise judgment. Or in one sense, you're shaking your fist against God. Like, no, I don't want to. You know, I know better than, than that for my life. And what incredible, arrogant folly. Guys, it is folly. It is incredible, arrogant folly to shake your fist against the creator of the universe who made you, who designed you, who designed you for relationship with himself and designed you for relationship with people to then choose to isolate yourself. And again, I I find myself just walking around it, and I I wish I could somehow press this harder. I wish I could somehow say it better than I've just said it, but I want to tell you, if no other verse lands in Proverbs 18 tonight. I hope this one lands for somebody. I hope it lands a little bit for all of you because I think in one sense it's one of those places that kind of blows off the dust. It blows off the confusion because sometimes we, we actually get confused. I mean, that's how sin works. And, and, and so we're trying to make some choice in life and, and we're like, you know, maybe I should just, I don't know, maybe I should stop going to church. Maybe I should stop hanging out with people. You know, maybe I shouldn't be a part of, and you start making these choices, and in the, in the weird place, you can actually talk yourself into, like, well, I think maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm just hoping, that, like, a verse like this just blows off the dust and goes, no, that is raging against all wise judgment. That is arrogant, and that is folly. There's no way God wants this for you. The man who does that is absolutely going at it wrong. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Wow, one verse that just is incredible. But I I draw you to it. And again, for you, I hope it's there. I mean, I think in one sense, you're here on Wednesday night. So I probably think about, hey, you're probably making a good choice. You're saying, I want to be with people. I mean, it really was probably a choice for you tonight. Like, you could have, like, oh, I could just stay home and be by myself. Like, I could, I could just do all alone. And, and somehow you made a choice to be here, and I just want to commend it. It's just a good choice. Sometimes it's a hard choice. But I'm hoping you see it and think it is good to be with God's people. I need that. There's something about the family of God, and I love this family of God, and I love what God is doing here. But I'm just thinking to want that and not choose to be a part of it is a great thing. And I just, I love that it's there. All right, well, enough on that, though I feel like I could almost spend the whole evening right there because it's such a good verse, but we'll just keep going. Verse 2, a fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. So the person, the object of it is a fool, someone who is the opposite of wise, someone who's doing life exactly opposite of the way that God is telling us to do it. He says he has no delight in understanding, doesn't even really want to understand. All he really wants to do is give his own opinion, express his own heart. Hey, it's a pretty clear proverb. It's not a hard one to understand. We probably all recognize it sometimes in other people and sometimes in us. There's danger there. There's danger when, when somebody isn't really wanting to learn, but they just want to tell you everything they think. It's a, it's a folly. It's a folly to be in a place where you, you, know, you can talk about anything and give your opinion on any matter and yet not wanting to even understand the things of God. And he calls us away from that type of person, to away from being that, where we would do that. He says, instead, you know, I mean, sorry, I didn't finish underlining it there. You know, he, instead of just being this person who expresses their own heart, we would be those who say, I, I long for this, where I want to, to be one who listens, which we'll talk about later in the chapter, and I want to be one that isn't just talking. 
really, really a good space for us to go to. All right, moving on. Verse 3, when the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. So when you see someone who's living a life just heading in the wrong direction and growing in wickedness would have the idea, he says, then that is going to come, with that is going to come contempt. More on that in a moment because it's an interesting thing to think through, but it's just enough for us to say, okay, wicked, contempt. And he says, when someone is, is walking in dishonor, walking away from the honor of God, walking away from what he has, that brings reproach. So it's kind of an interesting proverb, and again, one of the fun things when you could even take more time in Proverbs is just to feel the contrast and the way these are going. So there's a little bit of a contrast here that is playing out from both what's happening inside the person who's going the wrong direction and that which is happening on the outside of the person. I think maybe the easiest way to explain that is to read you out of the Amplified Bible that is a good one to look at every now and then. We talked about it even Sunday that is a translation that it's not a word-for-word translation, so don't always trust it, but it does seek to try to bring out some of the nuances of the text that isn't always found in the English language, and so it translates it this way. It says, when the wicked comes in to the depth of evil, he becomes a contemptuous despiser of all that is pure and good, and with the inner baseness comes outer shame and reproach. One of the things the Amplified helps us to kind of gaze at this is he says, so when someone's going to do this, when they're just going to walk in wickedness, with that is going to come this contemptuous behavior. It's not so much that they're going to be contemptible, although that's true as well, and that's going to be in the next part of it, but part of what happens is they begin to become somebody that looks down at everybody else, begins to treat everybody else with contempt, begins to treat everybody else with, you know, cruelty and, and, and division, which, by the way, goes back to verse 1, right? God's trying to draw us to him, and sin is separating, so now this person becomes just contemptuous, just, just angry and, and, and bitter about everything that is pure and good. At the same moment, with that dishonor, that, that inner baseness, they become someone who has this external place where he's being received that way, that there is reproach, that there is this sense of dishonor and shame and and just a part of all that that is. And he's just calling us to see it, to say, yeah, that's where this road is going to go, going the opposite of what it said in verse one, when you're trying to do what you're you're called to do what's right. If you go this way and you choose wickedness, it's going to make you contemptuous. It's going to make you dishonored. And it's certainly a place of us just looking at that and saying, true. You know, one of the sad things with being able to read these is that I know for some of us, maybe not all of us, but for some of us, I can read that, and for you, it's not just words on a page. I think for some of you tonight, you could go, I know that person. I know that person. I know what that was. They were were a co-worker, they were a friend, and then they just, man, they started to spin out of control. They started becoming more and more wicked, and then they just got mean. They got contemptuous. They, they were just mean about everything. They were cruel. They, they hated everything that was good. And then they were just their whole, I mean, just dishonor came upon them. And you would look and they say, that's a bad road to go. Don't go down that road. And in one sense, he's just calling us to see that so that that becomes not the choice that we would make. All right. Flip the page. Uh, verse 4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. And the wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. 
So it kind of begins with a statement of fact, the words of a man's mouth, like what you say, what flows out of, of your mouth, it's as if it's deep waters. Now, there's a lot of interesting things you could say with this, but it's worth just pausing and saying it's not actually a statement of either good or bad. So I kind of did it in a, in a blue line this time because it's really just more of a fact of saying that, you know, that the words that we say, it kind of you know, is, is like this deep waters that, that comes out of this. It's probably saying the same thing that Jesus says, that he would tell us there in Luke 6, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's like, okay, your mouth is going to have this, you know, river. It's going to have this deep waters. In one sense, either way, you know, layers of that that helps kind of see that. And he kind of just shows us as a place of that. And yet, from a Hebrew understanding, it's certainly within the culture in those days, this probably added almost the idea of, of a murky or even a, a, a fearful kind of a picture uh, of deep waters being, you know, deadly and, and, and scary for, for them in many cultures. And so it really is a little bit of a, of a fact, but scary, but contrasted to what he says next. So words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. Uh, that when, when someone is the words that are flowing out of their mouth, when it is this wisdom that you're walking and speaking the way, way that God has, it becomes this flowing brook. And, and it has this picture of a life-giving, beautiful, wonderful kind of just source of water. And, and in one sense, not just this deep water, but it's like, oh, that's, wow. When it's, when what's coming out of the heart is that, it's beautiful. And again, I think of Jesus when he spoke of it to us, and he said, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He says, this would be there. I mean, if you would believe upon Jesus and you would live your life in this place of, of living in faith with him, something happens. So that your life becomes this, you know, life-giving source. So that out of your heart is flowing living waters and, and a beautiful picture of what he wants us to have. And so certainly a desire that's being laid for here is just a picture of, okay, that's what I want. I mean, if there's a choice, I want to have this, you know, flowing brook that's life-giving and bubbling forth and beautiful and, and desirable. Certainly is that place of calling us to be those whose our words are speaking wisdom. All right. Well, keeping going, jumping to another subject, that's the way Proverbs works. Verse 5, it is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. So he just begins with a statement, hey, this isn't good, which is kind of going to be the outflow. So I did it with an underline, which if you're kind of tracking with the way we're doing it, that's what it's doing. He just wants to begin and says, okay, this isn't good. Like this, when, what we just need to think through right now is to understand that this is a statement of, of not good. What's not good? Well, it's not good to show partiality to the wicked. So someone's wrong and they've done the wrong thing and then you're going to, you know, give them favor that isn't due to them in that place. Or in the same sense, to be the one that overthrows the righteous in judgment. So in many ways, these two go together, but they're the sense of justice not, not happening, not, not working in the midst of that. I'm trying to figure out how to say this in a way that is both helpful and uh, understandable. 
You know, I, I think about where jurisprudence is in our country right now, and please understand, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm not dumb. I know that, you know, I think about what we have, and it is so far superior to things in some other countries, and so I'm really grateful uh, for, the, for the providence of God in our land, and certainly not, you know, being you know, totally against everything that happens there, but we do live in a land where, honestly, you know, we have a, a, a jurisprudence, system, jurisprudence system that is not always about, is it right? It's more of, is it provable? Can you get them off? You know, is, is there a way to, to, to somehow, you know, do this? And so many times you could go and you could sit through a, you know, courtroom scene, you could get to the end of the day and say, I don't know how many times it actually happened where, you know, the you know, the wicked was, was, got their due and the righteous got theirs. It just doesn't always work that way, and that's really the way our world works uh, in, in some sad ways. But now let's take it past that and say that's just not the way you're supposed to be. He's telling us, hey, this is not good. It is not good if we allow ourselves to be those who kind of buy into the same system that has this loosey, you know, goosey kind of thing about how what's right or wrong, and well, you know, I know it's kind of wrong, but, you know, instead of saying, no, right is right and wrong is wrong. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is, and, uh, you know, that, you know, not being cruel or harsh, I can tell you there's forgiveness in Christ, I can tell you all those things, but there is a place where just being able to speak truth would be an amazing reality, the, the kind of place where we'd say, hey, it's, this is, it is not good, if somebody's doing wicked and yet you, you know, help them get off, you know, from, from really being seen that way, or if somebody's doing right and you overthrow them, I mean, you make it so that they don't get what's there. It says, that's just bad. It's not, it's just something that we'd look at and say, okay, that's heartbreaking. It's not the way it's supposed to be, but certainly not the way our heart is, that he's longing that we would be in, in a very different way where in one sense, we'd be truthful that he's longing us for that, and, and certainly Proverbs is calling us to that. Again, wherever that lands or applies into your life, it is meant to be practical, and hopefully it does draw us to that. Well, going to the next one, verse 6. Verse 6 and 7 kind of go together. They speak some of the same realities, and so we'll kind of cover them and talk about them together. But we'll begin here in verse 6, where it simply says, A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. So we're talking about the fool, and the fool, again, is this person who rejects wisdom, who lives a foolish life, who rejects, you know, what God has. You know, the Bible tells us the fool said in his heart, no God, and, uh, you know, just rejecting all that he has. So here's this person. He says, when they begin to speak, because what's coming out of their mouth is, come, right, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said, that kind of flows out of this. He says, then they enter into contention. Like, just because of the way it speaks, it creates problems. I mean, in one sense, it becomes this place where just the, the, the way that a fool speaks and the way that it does, it just is constantly creating conflict. And, says in the midst of this, his mouth, speaking of the same kind of concept in the same, different words, it's as if it calls for blows. It's as if it calls for blows. So in one sense, we're just looking and saying, okay, so the, the words that would flow out of folly, the, the way it works is it just creates problems. Or maybe we'd say it differently. We might say foolish talk will get you into a lot of trouble. I mean, that's just kind of what he's saying. He says, you speak foolish, that just causes you, it'll get you into a lot of trouble. When, when folly is what you're speaking, it always creates conflict. When you show up at work or you enter into, you know, other places and someone is speaking foolishly, I mean, really foolishly, 
And if it's you, and you're really speaking foolishly, there's going to be problems. There's going to be conflict. I mean, somewhere it's going to somebody's going to get angry. Somebody's going to speak off in a in, in some controversial way. It'll do that. It just causes problems. It's as if when they speak, it's as if you're asking, "Who wants to fight?" You know, calling for blows. Like, who wants to you know argue with me? Kind of a thing. And it's just a terrible reality. I mean, again, it's 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 just one of these fundamental things that instead of bringing peace, it's bringing conflict. So again, for me, I, I'm just I'm still captured back by verse one, and I just want you to understand again how much this is a part of that. So God's ways is drawing you to love God and love people, isolating, moving away from that. What sin, Satan, and the world are doing is is doing that, and here you can even see it. What folly does is it begins to create problems. What when you when you break away from God instead of moving into relationship with God and people. It just creates problems. So you just causes problems everywhere you go because it's flowing out of that. Well, flip the page. Verse 7, it kind of continues it. Not only is it creating problems, but his fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. So this folly speaking, it is not only creating problems, not only creating things in there, it is bringing in destruction. It is bringing destruction and his lips, again, speaking about it in another way, it's the snare of his soul. So this is bringing us at odds with God. This is bringing us at odds with him and what he has for our life. So not only does it get us wrong with people, it gets us wrong with God. It, it reveals what it is. It, it shows this destruction. It brings us into the snare of our soul, which, again, is the very opposite of love God and love people. It's like, why would you want to go down this way? Choosing folly, choosing to reject hearing God, choosing to reject understanding what He has for us, it just creates conflict everywhere we go and, and works against everything that's the outside of that. And so very clearly He wants to draw us away from this. Now, it is true that in one sense, we could be talking about the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, and hopefully that's true. But I also think you understand with me it's not that Christians can't speak folly. It's not that sometimes we don't begin to rage against all wise judgment and do our own thing and speak our own thing. But I just want you to see it. Like, this is what it does. I mean, have you ever, have you ever kind of done that? You know, where you wake up one day and you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You know what I mean by that? You just kind of wake up and you're just, you're grumpy against the world and, and you're grumpy against everything and you don't feel like spending quiet time with God, and you don't feel like doing things, and so you have to go to work, and then pretty soon, pretty soon, you, you've gotten into an argument with somebody in the hall. Pretty soon, somebody's irritating you, and you, and, and, and it's just, you haven't even got to lunch hour yet, and it's like there's this wake of like conflict and problems, and, and God is distant, and people are distant, and I'm just wanting you to understand how, what happened. It flowed out of this folly choice in that your words just began to speak folly, just began to just spout your own opinions, your own things, and it created problems everywhere you go. And there is a sense of thinking, okay, Lord, I need rescued from that. I need rescued from my tongue. I need rescued from me causing problems everywhere I go because it's so much a problem of our lives. And may God just cause us to see it so that we could be able to recognize it, because again, we live in this selfish world where for some of us, it's like, well, it's just them. If, if they were just nicer people, it wouldn't have been a problem. You know, if they were, you just don't know the people I work with. I mean, that's just who they are. I mean, and it's like, well, you know, maybe, but I know it's really flowing out of our lips. 
in the way that we speak so often that determines where these things are going. And he says, if you're speaking folly, it's a snare to your soul, you're causing conflicts everywhere you're going, and he's certainly simply calling us away from that. All right. Well, switching subjects, again, verse 8, the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. They go down into the innermost body. So the words of a talebearer, it's kind of a Proverbs way of saying gossip. Uh, we've seen it a couple times already in the book of Proverbs, and so to be a talebearer is that you're walking around telling everything about everybody. You know, just being gossip, gossiping about people and gossiping about things that are there. He says, here's the thing about gossip, about the words of a talebearer. They are like tasty trifles. He says, and those words of a talebearer, they go down into the innermost body. So what did he just tell you? I mean, what is God telling you and me about gossip? We already know that gossip is really destructive. We've already seen that in the book of Proverbs already, if you've been with us. It tells us that, you know, gossip can actually destroy friendships. It can destroy best friends. It can separate people. I mean, gossip is a very destructive thing uh, to be those who gossip about other people. It's the opposite of what God wants for us. He tells us we're to be those who cover, love covers a multitude of sins, we don't find ourselves being those that go around doing those kinds of things. That's what he's not wanting us to do. But here he gives us another nugget that helps us think about what gossip is, and it's an important one. Probably a weird way to say it, but I'll see if I can say it this way. Gossip is like a tantalizing bad-for-you dessert. I don't know if that's the right way to say it because it's worse than that. But it is this kind of thing because he says it's, it's the, the thing about gossip is it just looks like a yummy dessert. Have you ever been there, right? I mean, you ever kind of walked through the bakery section at some place, and then they have some, and you're just like, oh, that looks so good. And you're like, it just, it just smells good. And, and it's like, it's just tantalizing. You're just like, I want that. That just sounds great. He says, that's kind of the way gossip is. Gossip's just, it's, it, it's as if, you know, you walk by the, the dessert table, and it's wafting out its smell, and it's wafting out its thing, and, and you'll just find yourself thinking, ooh, that just sounds good. I mean, that just sounds yummy. I kind of wanted to, you know, bite into that. And that's exactly the way gossip works. I mean, there's just something about the way that that happens that kind of tries to pull us in, tries to kind of pull us into that. And so part of what he's telling us about gossip is you need to be aware of this. Again, I, I know that you guys know how this works. And so just trying to imagine it with you in life because it happens. I mean, maybe you're there, again, maybe it's in the neighborhood, maybe you're at a restaurant, uh, maybe you're at work, maybe in the break room, and then it happens. People begin sharing gossip, like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so, you know? And the weird thing happens. It's just like someone just wafted the smell to you, and you're just, I mean, almost instinctual, like, really? Tell me. Like, <laughs> like what, what, do you, what, what happened to them? I mean, it's really wanted, now I really want to know, you know? It's like, and it just, you didn't even mean to. I mean, all of a sudden, it just, it appeals like this tasty trifle, but here's the problem. It goes down into the innermost soul. It goes out into the innermost soul and it becomes destructive. So kind of what he's telling us in the midst of this is that we're going to have to choose to avoid this. We're going to have to choose to avoid this because what seems sweet isn't sweet. It's, it, it, it affects us. It begins to change who we are on the inside. You can't undo what you've heard and, and you can't undo hearing that. And once you hear it, it begins to affect the way you see people and the way you treat people. 
That's just the way gossip works. And, and there's just not anybody here who's like, nope, I, I, I don't do that. I can hear anything. doesn't bother me. It doesn't really change the way I treat people. Oh, yes, it does. It goes into your soul. It goes into your soul so that you, it begins to change the way you see and treat people. So what is this telling us to do? Well, you're going to have to guard it before you eat it. You're going to have to guard it before you choose to partake of that tasty trifle, before you choose to taste of those, the, those things. That are there. You're going to have to be aware of this. Now, again, maybe you are. Maybe I'm telling you stuff, and you're like, man, I have, that is, that's a tough one for me, but I have to work at it. But I'm telling you, if you're not working at it, you're probably doing it. If you're not intentional, the kind of place where it, when, when, when things start to being shared and gossip starts to happen, where you say, uh, no, thank you. Uh, not interested, you know, no, I don't want to partake, you know, I, I, I'm, that does, you know, that, that, you know, yeah, sounds sweet, but, you know, watching my figure, or whatever, I mean, that's just bad for me, that's going to be destructive, I mean, you have to have that kind of pre-thought-out decision, I'm just telling you, if you haven't already figured this out, it'll happen, because you, you can't, there's, there's no sense in that moment that you're going to be process all this through. I mean, if you're just, if you haven't kind of figured it out, so you have to learn to become this person that tells people, no, thank you. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want gossip. Please, no, no thank you. I, I, don't, I don't eat that. <laughs> I don't, that, that. That's bad for me. That's unhealthy for me. I don't eat that. You know, so you have to kind of have that in there, and, and, and you just have to be a part of that so that when that conversation happens, I hope it's happened to you where you've had to tell somebody like, you know, I, I don't really need to know all that. You know, um, I, no, thank you. I don't want to know. I mean, that when somebody kind of begins to tell you, oh, I want to tell you some dirty secrets about so-and-so, and it's like, I don't want to hear it. You know, I don't really need to know. Um, you know, and, and, you know, there's just, there's something there where you have to make the choice, where you have to tell people almost in your own understanding so that when those things become available, You've already thought it through. Now, again, I, I'm trying to use this kind of goofy illustration of, of desserts and those kinds of things. And here's what I know. I mean, some of you are like, no, I eat all desserts. You know, so it doesn't even a problem for me. But I just say, you know, I know some of us, you know, if you're trying to be like a healthy person, you know. You know, it's like, I can, there, there, there's certain, I don't walk down certain aisles of, of the grocery store because those are dangerous aisles. Like, that's like dangerous. And so I avoid, I, I've thought it out ahead of time, you know. And you like, you know, maybe you let yourself have some desserts or not others, but you've probably thought it through because you know. And so sometimes you have to tell yourself, like you're going to a restaurant, you're like, we are not getting dessert, you know, or we're getting one dessert to share, or however it works. I mean, you've thought it through, but I'm telling you, you should have more care than that for your soul so that you know, hey, I'm going to be at work and we're going to be sitting in the break room and it's probably going to happen. And I need to say, no, thank you. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. You know, I don't, I don't need to know these things. Uh, you know, I don't need to know everything that happens. And uh, there's just power in that. I mean, there's just power in being that way. I'm trying to think about how to say this differently. I feel like I need to say one more thing about it and I'm kind of searching for the right way to say it. Because even in Christ, sometimes, you know, there is that age-old idea that, uh, you know, just tell me so I can pray about it. You know, tell, tell, tell me what's going on so I can pray about it. And somehow that almost becomes this blanket, like, it's okay, tell me everything and I can pray. But I want to tell you, it's really powerful when you can get to the place where you can tell people, I don't need to know everything. 
I mean, I, I do this sometimes. I've done it with our staff. I do it with people coming to stuff. It's like, you know, and something's happened. It's like, I don't need to know everything. I, I mean, I don't, I don't need to know the dirty, I don't, I mean, if there's something I need to know, you tell, you know, that's going to, you know, affect a choice I need to make as the pastor of the church, but otherwise, I don't need to know. I don't need to know everything. You know, I don't need to know what's going on. I don't need to know all the, the things. I mean, love covers, and so I, I've, I've made choices where it's like, I don't need to know, you know, and, and yet there's a dangerous sense in Christ where we almost, again, again, almost as this prayerful, like, tell me, tell me everything, and yet it's a bad thing. It's affecting your soul because, again, the problem with it is there's no one hearing it. You know, once you hear something bad about somebody or something about who they are, it'll affect the way you see them. It'll go into the innermost part of your soul, and there's just, I mean, we're not God. God is able to forgive and forget, right? I mean, we know that, right? We think about the beauty of this, that God says, hey, that he treats us, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. It's a great reality. I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, and then people are like, well, I just can't forgive like God. God never asks you to forgive like him, because you can't. I mean, there's no way where you're like, I'm just never going to think about that again. You know, when I look at you, I'm, I'm never going to think about, you know, what I heard about you, I am going to choose to never think about that when I look at you again. That's what God does. He says, when I forgive you, it's gone. Like, I don't, I don't look at you and go, oh, I still remember. I still remember what happened a year ago. Don't you want to make sure you know I still remember? And he doesn't. He says, I treat you. I treat you as if it's gone. I, I treat you with forgiveness. And he does. We can't. So the only thing we can do is like, I just need to not feed that as much as possible. I don't want these things to go down into my innermost body and may God rescue us from that folly. All right, going on. Verse nine, he who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. This is the idea of against laziness, being slothful or being lazy. And so a lot of book of the book of Proverbs calls us away from laziness, that laziness is a bad thing. But here he says, not only is it just bad, it really is akin to being somebody who destroys. So I want you to picture somebody who goes in and ransacks some place, you know, vandalizes, you know, some store. And we would look at that and go, that's terrible. And it is. But you know what's also terrible? the person who was supposed to be working for that place and didn't build it up. He says, you might have tore it down because you didn't build it up, you, because you were lazy in what you'd done. You were almost the same as someone who destroys. So he's calling us to see laziness in such a way that, you know, to, to, to walk in that, it's not just nothing. It's akin to, to being destructive. It's akin to being in a place that brings in destruction. Now, that's just true. That's just true in life and good to call us away from laziness, but it probably even has more application. It's kind of interesting. In the Amplified Bible, it renders this verse this way. He who is loose and slack in his work is a brother to him as a destroyer, and he who does not use his endeavors to heal himself is a brother to him who commits suicide. So track with me just for a quick moment. This last part of the verse is taken out of the Greek version of the Septuagint. So the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. It's translated into Greek language uh, later in time. And, and so it flows out to that. And one of the interesting things that flowed into the Septuagint was this part of the translation. A lot of interesting just talk about it within uh, Bible uh, students in the midst of it. You know, in one sense saying, well, it's not in most of the translations or how did they even get there? Probably partially true, but in another sense, still interesting to think through. Because here's the idea. So if, 
if you're, you know, if you've been called into this place of, of seeking to grow into this, the things that God has, when you're not doing that, it's as if you're moving into the place of self-destruction, in, into the place of, of things that are going against it. Let me just kind of try to say it to you this way. I think it's spiritually true. That when we think about our soul, if we're not growing, we're moving backwards. You know, if we're not moving forward into the things that God has, we're in a place of, of tearing down and destroying our soul. We're into a place of moving backwards. It, ne- it never goes one way or the other. So you can have someone who's like, well, I just, you know, you know, I'm just feeling a little bit lazy. Just not, I'm really not, I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't really feel like praying. And it's like, well, you know, you, you know, you might as well be tearing down your soul because lack of building, lack of growing that, it is into this self-destructive uh, kind of principle. Interesting to think through, definitely true in many, many ways, but calling us away from just this propensity towards laziness that is so rampant in our sinful culture. All right, flip the page. Verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. The name of the Lord. I'm going to use purple because it really is a statement about who God is. The name of the Lord is being held out to us. This is the only time, by the way, in the book of Proverbs where, this, where the name of the Lord is referred to which is fascinating in the midst of it. He just says, okay, that, the name of the Lord, it's just like this safe place. It's a strong tower. It's a place that would run this. And the righteous, those who are right with God, doing what's right before his eyes, they run to it and they find themselves safe. Now, you guys probably know this, but just quick FYI, when we talk about a name, we're not talking about a designation. When the Bible uses the term name, it's talking about character. So we're not talking about, you know, like, Jim Subtle, you know, that's like his name, like we would use it in our world. We're talking about who and, and, and the character that would be a part of that. For example, when Moses is praying in Exodus 34, he's crying out. He wants, he wants to see God. God, I want to see your glory. I want to know you more, he prays. And so God says, I'm going to do that. So it says the Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. So pause again, just tracking. Moses is like, I want to know you. I want to know you. God, I want to know who you are. And God says, I'm going to tell you my name. I'm going to tell you my name. I'm going to proclaim my name. Now, he's not here proclaiming, you know, a title. He's not here proclaiming, uh, you know, a, a designation for who God is. When he proclaims his name, he proclaims who he is, the character that is his. For as he proclaims the name of the Lord, God says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I mean, this is amazing. This is one of those statements that you could spend a long time on. God says, this is who I am. This is my name. This is my character. This is what I, by my nature, am. I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord, sovereign God. I am merciful, and I am gracious, I am one that gives mercy. I'm one that gives grace. I'm, I'm long-suffering. I put up with things. I'm abounding in goodness and truth. I keep mercy for thousands. I forgive. I forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. I mean, there's this amazing statement of who God is. 
Now, it's not actually done because it gives us a full picture of it. It goes on by saying, no, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And I won't dive into this in a whole lot, but in, in one sense, it's this beautiful balance because sometimes people are like, God is just love. He's just love. He's like, I am God, but I'm also sovereign and I'm also dealing with sin. And if your sin isn't going to be dealt with in Christ, then I get to see your judgment. I get to see where that's going to go. I can tell you where your life is going to go, and he's sovereign and reigning over that. Again, all of that's powerful because, again, just helps us understand who this is. And so in the midst of it, what he's simply calling us to be is a people that would do this. Is if you know who God is, if you know who he is, he is your strong tower. And if you're righteous, you're walking with God and you're walking with Jesus, you can run to it, and you're safe. How needed this is. Our world is broken, and it's hurtful. And I don't know how often you feel this. i got to be honest, it's not an uncommon feeling for me. Where sometimes you're just like, man, I just... I feel like I need to almost like run away. I think I run away from the world. Like run, I just the world is just grieving me and making me so sad and, and and so you know sad to watch the hurt and the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the sin. And, and it's like sometimes you just find yourself feeling like it's like where am I going to go? And God's like, how about me? If you know who I am, you're gonna you're gonna turn to me. And in in the character of God and knowing His name. It's as if you step toward him, and all of a sudden, it's like you're in this strong tower. In those days, a strong tower, you'd have a city and, you know, walled city, but the strong tower was the, the, the most defended, most protected, most safe place in the entire city. It's like you step into God's who he is, and it's like, oh, I'm safe. I mean, it's almost as if it just washes over you. It's like, okay, God with you. I mean, in, in, in knowing who he is, it is this incredible, glorious, wonderful place of safety. Maybe sometimes the problem is that you just don't believe it. Because he says, if you know it, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. There is this sense that if you know who he is, if you know he's the God who is merciful and gracious and long-suffering, and like, it's like, I know what I can find when I run to him. I know who he is. He says, then there's beauty there. There's this incredible place. And I, 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 I say all that to say, I hope you understand this. I hope this isn't one of those things like, I've never done that. I don't know anything about that. Then I'm so sad. I, I hope you are. I know for many of you in Christ, you're like, I know that. Why don't I go there more often? You know, why don't I turn to the character and the name of God to find safety and security for my soul? Why do I just, you know, kind of sit out there in the world just being peppered with the darkness and the brokenness when I could be like, okay, God, you know, enough of watching the news, enough of reading the stories of what's happening in the wrong. I need to go and just think about the character of God. I need to run into your name and say, God, you are God and you are good and you are powerful and you are sovereign and you are mighty. And whew, I'm so glad. You know, that's what he's telling us we get to get. So it's this beautiful place where you and I are called to being able to face that this way. We'll hold that and keep going. Because in contrast to it, verse 11, the rich man's wealth is his strong city and the high wall of his own esteem. So we have this rich man who's, who's here. He's, he you know, has all of his money, has all of his things. For the propensity that's there is to make that his strong city, 
They think, well, you know, as long as I have enough money in the account, you know, as long as I can afford gas, you know, whatever it is, as high as it gets, you know, whatever, you know, as long as I have that, I'll be fine. He says, it's, it's like, he says, this place where this person who puts their trust in money, it's like a high wall in his own esteem. That's a pretty powerful way of saying it, but let's say it a different way. It's in his own imagination. It's an imaginary wall. He's like, okay, so you're going to trust in your money? That's like an imaginary wall. And I just want you to kind of just try to figure that out for a moment. So you ever kind of picture this city being overrun by enemies and, you know, this guy's like, this is my wall, like right here. And it's like an imaginary wall. Like, it's just, I, I don't know, I, I have this like goofy cartoon brain. So it's just in my brain, I'm like, oh, it's like the, the guy's like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, like, just reach right through it. It's like, that didn't help you at all. Like an imaginary wall doesn't stop arrows. Imaginary walls don't stop anything. What a, what a crazy thing to put your trust in something that is not safety. What is not a, a safe place? And money is not. Money is not a safe place. Money is not evil in and of itself. And, you know, it's not that he's telling us to have it. You know, some have said, you know, money makes a great servant and a terrible God. It's a pretty good way of understanding it. Money makes a great servant and a terrible God. When you trust in it, when money is your God, it's scary. It's an imaginary wall. But when you can be like Paul the Apostle says, hey, I could have it or not. You know, I'm content. I, I'm content to have much. I'm content to have nothing. doesn't really matter to me. You know, I have Jesus, you know. And so, you know, you could take it or I could take it or leave it because that's not my fortress. That's not my safe place. What a sad thing it is in, in our world right now that for so many, even in Christ, that they, they put their trust in money instead of God. But he's calling us to that. It's probably connected. I'll just quickly toss it in there in verse 12. Before destruction, a heart of a man is haughty. and Before honor is humility. So before being destroyed, there is this picture of, of the, the, that pride is there, this place of trusting in your own self. And before honor, which is the result, is humility. Before what that would look like, it would be there. Now, this is one of these repeated Proverbs that we've covered probably four or five times already in Proverbs that highlights just the terrible place of pride, this terrible place of putting your self-confidence in our own self or confidence in our own places, and it's as if you could say, when you could see that, it's an imaginary wall. It's not going to help them at all. They're going to go down. I mean, that's what it happens. But if you can humble yourself before God, then, then that's this incredible place of protection and honor. So I just want you to put these three together for a quick moment. I just want you to think through these three because in some ways, it just gives us this picture of, so how are you doing this? How are you doing life right now? How are you doing this broken, unfair, unkind, sinful world? He says, well, you know, the name of the Lord, it's a strong tower. And, and the righteous run to it. You know what? When they run to him, they are safe. There, there, there is safety found. There is safety found in saying, you know what I need? I need God. That's what I need. I, I need him. I don't really, you know, everything else can be taken. You know, I, you know, I don't, my confidence isn't in my money. It's not in my job. It's not in my health. It's not in my, my nation. I, I need him. And if I run to him, then I'm safe. If you put your trust in the, like the rich man in, in your wealth, it's this uh, high wall in your own esteem. It's an imaginary wall. What a terrible place. And you could watch it and you'd say, okay, that's going to be destruction. I mean, you could almost just look at that person and say, it might not happen today, but it's going to happen soon because imaginary walls protect nobody. 
you know, they, 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 you could just look and say, that's going to be destruction. That's going to be a place where the world is going to take that person down and sorrow is going to take that person down because they've, they've, they, they don't have any safe place to go. But if there is this place of, of humbling yourself before God and you look, hey, there's honor, there's protection, there's beauty in the midst of all of that, it becomes this great place to live. So that's probably a good place for us to end this evening. We'll come back and pick up uh, next week as we continue on. But I want to again just ask you as we're closing, so I'm just wondering which one of these look like you right now. Again, and maybe you, you'd say, well, I, you know, <laughs> Monday I spent my day in, in this one, and then Tuesday I went to the other one, and that would be kind of honest. But the, the goal of it is to say, okay, I want to see where I want to live. I, I want to be the person that says, you know, my safe place, my, 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 my thing that gives me security and safety, it is God. It is, it is running to Him. It is, you know, doing what we sang in song just a few moments ago where, you know, where Jesus tells us, hey, whatever, wherever you are, come to me. Like, you know, Jesus strong and kind. What do you, you need to come this, this, this direction. Like, you come here because what you need, I give. That's what you, that's where this is found. What an incredible place that is. And yet what a terrible place it is when those go other spaces. When you, when you find yourself looking for things where, where life is not found, where it cannot be. And I just want to call you away from that this evening and into a place where you would find yourself saying, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it, and we are safe. Let's go over for him right now, ask him for that in prayer, and then we'll close in worship this evening. Father, we've come this evening, we've thought about your word, and I thank you for Proverbs, I thank you for the, the window that just shines light into our soul and our lives, calling us to live differently. I think about where we began and just how important it is to recognize the folly of doing our own thing and isolating ourselves. Rescue us from that. Rescue us from pulling back from you and pulling away from people to our own hurt and destruction. Instead, Lord, would you help us to run towards you? Would you help us to run towards you that we'd find that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and we run to you. We just run to you. And help us to pursue relationship, Lord, in a way that is good. Seeking for our words not to be foolish, creating conflict and controversy everywhere we are. Seeking to avoid gossip that just isolates us from people. God, help us to choose rightly. And I pray for tonight that that would be real in the midst of us. We just want to ask for that together as we just take a few moments and worship in these closing songs. Would you meet us and make it real? We pray for that right now. In Jesus' name.